0: Do we have any questions left over from anywhere at all? Anyone else? Some of you are sitting in different places than you usually sit, which is certainly disconcerting me. I don't know how you all are feeling, but I'll do my best to cope. Meditation has made me brave. (laughs) I don't know what to make of it, though. Everything in this world is ephemeral. Pain comes when you're attached to that which is passing. (laughs) Okay. Just don't do it again. I mean, now that you have your spots. (laughs) And whatever you do, don't shift during the break. (laughs) Listen, when I sit in the congregation, I always sit in the same seat. What can I do? I always sit right over there, you know, just under that window, one in from the end. All right. (laughs) Rita always sat in that back chair right there. I always sit here. Last one, last row. (laughs) every time. Oh, hi, there she was. See, certain solid reliability. Number (laughs) 215. Indeed, to anyone of discrimination, everything experienced by the body is painful. I just love the way he says that. Indeed, to anyone, to anyone of discrimination, (laughs) just like, whoop, there we are. Everything experienced by the body is painful. For every desire, once satisfied, is followed by fear of loss. I just think that's such an amazing phrase. We'll go back to that. It produces ever new cravings in the mind, and desire results in conflict between the three gunas. Swami spends a lot of his time on the concept of the conflict between the three gunas, but I'm, I have had a lot of... Um, I've been fascinated by the fact that whenever... You have an experience. What comes with this is this fear, because you know it's not going to last. And I mean, it's not. It's not like everybody has that in their mind. Although some people do. Some people are actually sad in the middle of being happy because they know it's not going to last. But there is always that. Well, it, it happens on many more. It it happens on a more subtle level, and that's where Swami doesn't want to shut that. Um, that's where Swami's. Then Master goes on to talk about the conflict of the three gunas, about how our energy ends up going in different directions. But there's this, um, because we never know it, we never actually know a state of perfect peace, like Jesus called the peace that passeth understanding. Just a state of absolute calmness where we are, in fact, not made restless by any desires. In the book about um, Swami Kriyananda, a man uh, told me a story about uh, a near-death experience he had where he fell and cracked his head really hard on a piece of concrete, I think like on the curb. And he went unconscious and then started going out of his body. And he started going down the tunnel of light And he was drawn into the presence of a light being. And he described in such a fascinating way that he said, it wasn't in the presence of that light. He said, it wasn't that I had no desires. It was that it wasn't possible to desire anything. Because everything that you could even imagine ever longing for was already present. And he sort of tried to describe how desires were vaporized. They just, they couldn't arise. They were, they were cauterized by the presence of that light. And he described it also as just, he, of course, had never been conscious of how always um, made uncomfortable by unfulfilled desires he was until he had that experience. For the sake of the story that I was telling he said that when, when he met Swami and Swami blessed him, he went right back into that state. And that was why, why he was telling the story because in between it had never happened and then it happened again. The very first time he met Swamiji and he was blessed by him. But the, the point for our reality is just what we think of as normal compared to what a master thinks of as normal. It's not merely what we're thinking about a little bit all the time. I mean, I don't know how many of you have had dinner, and whether you're just vaguely thinking about what you might have for dinner, or what you hope is gonna happen at work tomorrow, or whatever it might be. These are just like, just sort of conscious things, unconscious things that just kind of, excuse me, conscious things that kind of drift in the back. And that doesn't even count all the vrittis from all the incarnations that are just hanging out there, as uh, Swamiji was told by Master, every single desire has to be fulfilled. If every desire has to be fulfilled, that means that they're all somehow linked at the present moment because somebody has to be keeping track of all these desires and where they are. So it's always in us. We just don't have any idea. And there is always then the, the corollary to wanting something and feeling that that something is somehow required for your well-being is a degree of anxiety about whether or not it's going to happen or not. It's just inherent. How, however, clear I've been, I've been contemplating a lot, and every time I, whenever something is numbered at the top of my mind, it comes up all the time in all my classes. But just trying to be ever more deeply conscious of what is actually really going on below the conscious level or independent of conditions. Because I'm such a karma yogi, I'm always engaged doing stuff, and I'm always creatively imagining what's going to happen next. And I'm planning a trip now to Australia and New Zealand in the back of my mind. You know, I'm picturing the venues and imagine being there speaking. Just, it's kind of like it now that's become my new background tape. And then combined with that is this little bit of just a touch of oh, I've got to really get to those class write-ups and when am I going to do that? And if I, you know, just, I'm just telling you my story. You all have the same story in some way or another because if there's a desire, there's a little bit of fear because if I don't fulfill it, then there will be a bad consequence. And that's when we begin to really not... It, 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 it's not so much even that we... And not only that we get become that we develop a state of vairagya toward what, it, toward what it is that we might desire, a detachment from it. We also just recognize that the whole game is exhausting. And it isn't even that we're not going to have those experiences, but the attachment to them is what creates the anxiety at their potential loss or um, their, that the fact that they won't be fulfilled or that it won't last forever. Isn't, that, isn't it fun? I mean, how... Patanjali just really tries to crack what everybody thinks of as normal. And he tries to just crack it open and show you, just like this one, anyone of discrimination realizes that everything about the body, experienced through the body, is painful because ephemeral, because therefore subject to fear and loss. And uh, just ceases to be worth it at a certain point. And instead of And and this is an interesting point that comes up just a little bit later. Now, of course, I'm quite hot. Can somebody open a couple of windows now that I've managed to shut the door? Okay. Thank you. But I'm suffering. And I'm really afraid that nobody's going to open the window. (laughs) Yeah. Ridiculous, huh? Okay. And so then it also says, not only by the fear of loss, but then each one rolls onto the next one. Because it... One desire, once you start having it fulfilled, it begins, a whole other series of desires begins to come. Well, this has been really nice, so it would be nice if we also had that, and this would be good, and then also that, and this didn't quite work out just the way I wanted, so let me have just one more way of doing it, and pretty soon we're just, you know, on that uh, cycle. I remember when Swamiji was talking once, I was asking him questions about this was at the time when a lot of monastics were getting married. People were moving from the monastery into the householder side of things. And we were having a discussion about celibacy and sexuality and like that. And I sort of asked Swamiji, you know, what's the, what's the positive and negative of both realities? And on the celibacy side, he said sometimes, he said celibacy should make a person lighter and lighter but sometimes it merely makes the person tighter and tighter, was how he put it, just becoming more and more tense rather than more and more free. But his answer on the other side for becoming householders and giving up that that giving up the renunciation, he said, is that starts the cycle in your mind that desires are there to be fulfilled, which I thought was an extremely subtle answer to that. It wasn't you know, sex is a sin or anything like that, although there's lots of more other things that could be said, reinforcing the ego based on gender identity, based on the body itself, which therefore reinforces that you have one. But I thought Swami's answer was so much more subtle, and I've thought about it many times since. It sets in motion the idea that desires are there to be fulfilled. You know, the the whole concept of renunciation, whether you're living as a monastic or not, the idea is that desires are not there to be fulfilled. Desires are there maybe to happen, but they're not meant to be followed. There's something that we just don't follow. They happen and we don't follow them. Now, of course, all of this has to be done in a healthy manner, but you understand that. But this is one of the reasons. Everything that happens to the body is actually painful. Every, every, everything experienced by the body is actually painful because it sets in motion the opposite and, of course, most of us are not able to live by that level of renunciation, so we have to find another way to work with it. But also, it's nice, not, it's, nice to, it's nice to keep a healthy perspective on all of these things and not become too engrossed or too committed to any one reality. Someone was telling me recently about a woman who's very attached to her husband who, at the mere thought that her husband might die before her, con- just cries. So always in the moment, in the enjoyment of her present relationship, is the possibility of losing it to the point of putting her to tears. Now, of course, it's not uncommon, actually. It's not at all uncommon. You realize that this won't last forever. You contemplate its loss, and it makes you sad. You know, my little children will grow up. My darling little baby. My father wept when he realized that my childhood was over. It's just like, there it was. was, I was, I was gone, and he could tell. And I could tell. It's just like everything that had happened that we'd both enjoyed quite a lot. It was just gone. And after a while you... Well, I keep thinking, as one of my drug addict friends says, you know, the front side is the same as the back side. (laughs) There is no high anymore. Because as soon as the high starts, you realize there's going to be the opposite of it immediately. And you become disinclined. And so your disinclination is not based on you know, anything that this is ugly or this is terrible. It's just you become disinclined because even as you see it rise, you recognize that it's going to fall. And you, well, we talked about it last week, you live back from both. You live back from the wave. It's not like you don't observe the waves, but you live back from them. You live in the reality that is, has mastery over the waves or considers the waves interesting but irrelevant which is sort of the, the way I've been thinking about it lately, and trying to shift over from merely being able to conquer the up and down to try to, to not define myself at all by the up and down, because that's what I realized. That's how Swami lived. It just happened around him, but it never actually concerned him personally, just exactly what Master said. Because if I once I get into that experience, its opposite is inevitable. So indeed, to anyone of discrimination. Discrimination is a really important word there because discrimination is just that ability to really discern um, fine shades of reality. People who don't have discrimination just can't tell. Can't tell that hostess Twinkies really don't taste very good. You know, that this action is not really going to bring me happiness, that that person isn't really telling me the truth. Just to be able to discriminate between reality and non-reality so to the person of discrimination, and he should add, of highly refined discrimination. He can sense that none of, the, none of this is worth doing, because it all is just going to take me down this roller coaster. I don't want to go down. Of course, many people like the roller coaster, and they, enj- they enjoy the ups and downs, and they look forward to the adventure of it, and they, they want that experience, the intensity of of all of it, the intensity even of the anxiety of losing it or the intensity of having lost and just riding up and down and up and down and until it assumes a certain anguishing monotony, which is master's, again, master's absolutely perfect word. If it's not boring to you, you can't pretend that it is. I mean, that's uh, that's being suppressed and that's being inauthentic. And there's a great temptation that um, inexperienced yogis get into, where they just try to, they imagine that the way um, to conquer this is, is to withhold your energy. And this is where Swamiji once remarked, because he's, he's completely non-attached, and it doesn't matter to him at all how things turn out, he's absolutely free completely open. He can give his energy completely to whatever's around him. And you always saw that he did. You never saw, you never saw blankness on his face, is the word I want to use. Swami was always entirely present. And often people who are trying not to participate, and it's not really that they're living internally, they're just trying not to participate, a certain blankness comes over the face. Does that make sense? And, and you, have to, you have to be really always engaged. That's the, the danger of this chakra. If you, if you, instead of being genuinely calm and detached, you just become, I um, can't think what the word is, but in, indifferent, you become uh, dull. Well, dull is the only way I can think of to see it. And sometimes you see yogis who look dull because they're, pra- they're practicing so much not being engaged. But they're not fully engaged in anything they're disengaged from this, but not fully engaged in the inner world. And then that, that sort of blank look co- comes over their face. You can be silent. You can be still. But that's different than being low energy. And that's, that's what's required here. Swami, of course, was never low energy. If he wasn't participating, he was definitely somewhere. And you would look over and you would realize he'd stop participating, but that didn't mean... Because sometimes what was going on around him didn't interest him. But he was not absent from himself. He was George Bernard Shaw. What are you enjoying? Are you enjoying yourself? Yes, that's all I am enjoying. <laughs> he was at that point. Okay. Any questions or thoughts about that? Uh, over to Stephen.
1: This is related to. Um, I think it's. A, in, I believe it's a quote from Master where he said, um, "I don't ask you to." deny temptation, but I, just to resist it.
0: I don't expect you to be able to overcome it, but only yeah. to resist it.
1: Okay. So, so this idea of resisting, I've, I've had some confusion with, because I, I attempt to practice it, mm-hmm. and I just, my mind, I can't quite get my mind around it because I, I say to myself, you sort of, either you do it or you don't. So if you're doing it, you're not really resisting it.
0: Mentally resisting it is how Swami put that Which is that a piece of you always remains the observer Instead of diving in with completely unbridled enthusiasm A piece of you always just watches But I think before we go there We have to go back to remember Some delusions are periodic or occasional And some are sustained And the ones that are sustained You can't even think about overcoming yet and so I think we have to be careful if it's just really us, if we really do enjoy this and the pretense that we want to resist it is just a fake.
1: Right, right. So, all right, so I find it. myself in those situations, certain things I just still enjoy doing. Right. But I, I don't, and I do understand the difference between wholeheartedly jumping in. I'm, I'm aware that I'm enjoying it and I'm aware that I'm allowing myself to go there.
0: Yeah.
1: So, is it, Will it change naturally? I suppose that's my question. Or at a certain point, will I get more conscious hold of the reins?
0: What, what we're trying to sort out here and what I'm trying to say in the right way is if we have a certain karma that is a sustained karma, he calls it, he called it an imperfection, which is to say something that is other than wanting to remain only in the spirit, you don't get out of karma by doing it badly. So if it's something that you really want to have happen, you know, to marry, to raise a family, to build a home, to find a career, to paint pictures, whatever it might be, you have to just do it and do it well. And if if half of you is condemning yourself in it, it's not likely, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to finish it that way. Mm -hmm. But you can then, what Swami says is, and you enjoy it with the joy of God. And you bring God into the experience with you and you try to remember as much as possible that this is a shared experience with the divine and not hold it to your person with sort of selfish glee as if also hiding it yeah. from the divine. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one stage. The other stage is more like for sporadic imperfections or sporadic desires where you really don't want to do You don't want to eat that ice cream sundae. Yeah. You, know, you, you don't want to have that beer... Um, You don't want to go to that dance. You don't want to pick up that woman, whatever it might be. But yet, there you are. You find yourself doing it. So even though you're doing it, there's a piece of you says, hmm, look at us. You know, here we are. And you bring God with you. But you also, a piece of you says, this is happening, but this is not really me. This is not really what I want to do. We'll go through this experience one more time, but maybe this will be the last time. A piece of you is also just holding back from it. And those are. I think it depends on what the situation is, whether how we need to deal with it.
1: So, using that second example, because the other one I do have an understanding of bringing right. God into it and doing it well, you might mm-hmm. as well. But if it's some, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't gamble, but let's say you were a gambler, right? And you just habitually,
0: yeah, you an addiction.
1: Yeah, every other day, whatever it might be. I mean,
0: you you just pull your mind away from it as much as you can, instead of just. Instead of, see, this is the difference, Stephen. Here's the difference. Oh, heck, I just am going to do this anyway. I'm never going to get any better. I just might as well just go. Instead of resisting. Oh, look, I've fallen one more time into this, but this is not me. I will overcome this. Today is not the day when I succeed, but maybe tomorrow will be. That's different than just capitulating and giving up the idea completely that you will ever overcome this. And that's really what he means
1: Is by this me. akin then to Swami's example that he spoke of many times of quitting cigarettes?
0: Yes, qu- quitting Yeah, he resisted it. He still smoked, but mentally he resisted it. Tomorrow will be the day.
1: But with a continual affirmation underlying. Exactly. Yeah. The, so instead, that's an essential part of it.
0: Yes, because he was still resisting it. He yeah. wasn't just capitulating. Yeah. Okay. Or, or resigning himself to a lifetime of this. Well, not today, but tomorrow.
1: So really, if one is looking for a pathway out, mm-hmm. it would be to take that um, level of, of, of uh, detachment and resistance and, and, and incorporate it into the you practice. Just, just
0: keep it as the running tape. Well, my, yeah. my, my, I hope yeah. enjoy this, dear, because this is going to be your last time.
1: <laughs> Better enjoy it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in just some part yeah. of you, it's just yeah. always saying, no, I'm not really... Not committing to this lifestyle. I, I think of it in my own self. There are those actions I commit and those, there are those actions to which I am committed. Mm-hmm. And there are actions that I commit but I'm not committed to them. They just are being committed. <laughs> but I'm not committed to going on with it. It's yeah. just happening right now. And yeah. I, if that makes sense, to me that's a big distinction. Oh, yeah. I may still be doing it but I'm not committed to doing it. I'm committed to overcoming it, but it's still happening because today was not the day when it was finished. And yeah, these things just fall away. You just find yourself, and you don't find yourself usually from Monday to Tuesday, or from Tuesday to Thursday even, but from 2010 to 2012, or 2012 to 2020, you just suddenly realize that a whole lot of those are not happening anymore, and you're not quite exactly sure when they fell away. They just stop being so interesting Yeah yeah. You just And if you just don't quit I, I mean I've said this to you all before I have a very hard time understanding How change actually takes place Because it kind of happens when you're looking over here You're changing on the left When you're looking to the right You think you're changing on the right When you're staring, you know, there But it seems to happen where you aren't looking It's just somehow your self Withdraws slowly And steadily from things that were always there, and then you find them not there anymore. And you don't really remember. You, you remember that you made a resolution, but you don't really remember how you succeeded as a rule. Sometimes it's pleasantly dramatic. Yeah. But, but it's not. You're just somebody else. Wow, look at that. Yeah. Did you have a question, Meryl? When I'm meditating... Um, most of the time, it feels it feels really good. You know, I mean, it's no, nothing close to samadhi, but it it feels. I feel very calm, and, and I feel happy. And I tell my ego, "See what this ha- is happening now. This feels good, doesn't it? Let's do this all the time."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But then, I don't know why. All of a sudden, I feel like quitting meditating. Vritti's <laughs> and <laughs> and um, and then. And then also, when I'm watching my breath, um, I can get into a calm state. But I'm thinking that it must not feel good enough because I let other things intrude that yes. must feel better. No, that's exactly the truth. Or, you, or just, you can only sustain it. You, you, know, you, you create a certain magnetism that lasts a certain amount of time, and then something else is creeping up, and then it eats your consciousness. But it's no point in weighing and measuring just take each experience as it comes and then just go on to the next it's not even really point in thinking about it all that much we're completely incomprehensible i mean this is just one tiny way i mean i don't know i make no sense to myself i just kind of watch her just why is she doing that you know? i don't know if i understood better maybe she wouldn't but i don't i used to worry about every little move she made and it just made it much worse because not only was I behaving in ways that I was behaving, but I was also always thinking about how I was behaving. And so at least you can win half the battle by just not worrying about it anymore. As long as you're making the right spiritual effort and as long as you're doing however puny your effort may actually be, as long as you're making it, um, just keep making it And and then just be happy. Just, I was talking to someone today, the whole spiritual path. Well, Jamal says this in the movie. I think we can define spirituality as doing that which brings you happiness on a higher and higher level, really. Just the spiritual path is to be happy and completely certain that God loves you. And just if you're just happy and absolutely certain that God loves you, you you're, you've gone a long way. Because once you're like that, then everything else follows from it naturally most of most of our suffering is that we become convinced that he doesn't love us and, and, and that's a habit too yeah it's all just habits Every, absolutely everything there's nothing here folks I mean there's nothing here anywhere there's nothing here this is all patterns of energy and this is really just a pattern of energy this is just vrittis mm-hmm. what is vritti? It's a, it's a magnetic whirlpool and it just when it disappears it goes away there's not even any ash I mean it's gone
2: you know, uh, um I like that you brought up Jamal 's quote about what makes you happy because you know I spent a lot of time in the folk music community and the dance community, and there are people who you know they consider that their spiritual connection, and i 've seen very much it 's a complete continuum on to here, even though for me. Now to go spend a night dancing, you know, as a monk, that would be like a pretty major step backwards and I don't really want to, and I can feel how different um, and problematic that would be for me, but but it really is a continuum. It's not even a complete clean break. There's a guy who works at East West his roller derby team is his spiritual family, uh-huh. you know, because he has that connection to the community. And like, this is where he gets these kind of, you know, uplifting, energizing, positive, loving feelings. Cause that's, that's his other family. And it it is just, just a line all the way, all the way up, you know, and I never had to deliberately say, like, no, I'm never going to go do this again. It's horrible. I renounce it. It just evolved.
0: It just evolved. And that's, that's, that's how it works. Swamiji said, and I've repeated this before, but it's exactly in context. He saw every sentient being, from the animals to the saints, as egos on the spectrum striving to be free. And when you really think about that, it also... It makes you so, it not only makes you relaxed about yourself, but it makes you relaxed about everybody on the planet. They're all just egos on a spectrum trying to be free, caught up in whatever it is they're caught up in. But they are exactly right. They're not, they're not any different. Nobody is any different from anybody else. It's just what they happen to think in the moment is forward movement for them. And even if it's moving into the darkness, that's, that's just, it seemed like a good idea at the time. That, that's where I like the eight manifestations of God, love, peace, calmness, joy, wisdom, sound, light, energy. I mean, if a person is lazy or, doesn't, or, or their, their most energetic moment is when they're out there on the roller derby scene and they're feeling the power flowing through them, that really is a manifestation of God because that's when the power is going to flow for them. That's when the joy is going to flow. That's when the love is going to flow. And they're going to have to find it where they find it, drink that cup to the bottom. Every time I see or hear about groups like the roller derby or the Bronco riders or the, well, the NASCAR drivers are really well-known or the the bikers um, or the cowboy poets or whatever it might be, just some world that I don't have any connection to, I'm always so intrigued to realize it's a whole universe. It has celebrities. It has groupies. You know, it has gossip. It has scandal. It has moments of elation. It has magnificence in its, on its own terms, in its own sphere. And everything is a microcosm of the macrocosm. And for those who are doing it, it's their church, if you want to call it that. That's where, that's the amazingness about Sanat and Dharma as, as an ideal. Sanat and Dharma is that which is. It's not religion. It's not social custom. It's just that which is. We are made in a certain way. And when the energy rises up the spine, I don't mean kundalini rising, but that which elevates us is the forward movement, and we're all made the same way. And just if you're a person whose tastes run... To, to riding bucking horses, you know, you, you, you're not going to get any pleasure from Sri Ram, J Ram. You know, it's just not going to do it. It's going to put you right to sleep. It, it won't raise your energy at all. But for them, whatever they're doing will raise their energy, so that's where they go. And that's why just don't worry about yourself. If you're generally being a spiritual person and, and doing your best, and by no means am I suggesting you slack off at all, One should be as vigilant as one is capable of being. But after that, I mean, this is the embarrassing truth. This was a great liberating thought for me. This um, stunningly mediocre level of accomplishment is actually my best. (laughs) And I, I realized that most of my tension was just desperately trying to avoid that fact. You know, this can't possibly be my best. And so therefore, you know, it was a constant state of... I was always at war with myself. And one grim and wonderful morning, I realized, this is my best. Oh, dear. <laughs> but I, I went very serious at that moment. And I, I practiced... My, I had my own little near-death experience in my imagination. And I took the little puddle of medi- mediocrity and I laid it at Master's feet. And I said, yeah, this is all we've got. <laughs> And, you know, he agreed with me that might have been better, but it's not. So let's forget theory. Let's work with reality. And, of course, you're tricking your mind. But at that point, I just became much happier. And it was possible to move a little bit forward because I wasn't always torturing myself with fears and doubts and self-preoccupation, which was not helping that's why I can say so strongly, just don't worry about it. The bigger problem is self-concern. The actual lack of accomplishment is secondary to the anxiety and the self-concern over it. If, if one can really grasp that. It was perfectly epitomized to me by a woman who, who was part of our sangha for a time and isn't anymore was a lovely person, many fine qualities, many talents, intelligence, refinement, many fine qualities. She was absolutely convinced that she was inadequate, just like so deeply convinced. I tried to explain to her, the only thing wrong with you is your conviction that you're not okay. If you could just feel okay, the actual you is really just fine. And actually, of another woman who I went through the same cycle with, who just lived in this incredible anxiety that she wasn't good enough. So I told her that her mantra should be what she embraced with total enthusiasm. I'm inadequate. (laughs) And she often began just saying that. You know, I am inadequate. And it was so liberating. Swamiji, there was this one woman who was so insecure, just about everything, the same thing. And Swami just sort of tried it with her like this. He said, just for the sake of discussion, Let's just imagine that everything you fear is true. It's all true. So now just let's just accept, you know you are a total failure at everything that you wanted to do and you'll never get better. Now what? Just instead of spending all your time fighting that fear, just say, "Okay, it's happened." In the superconscious living uh, method that Swami wrote the he wrote a whole actual program that we we don't really practice it in toto but one of his things for a feeling of fear and inadequacy is he said just keep telling yourself how bad you are you know, and just make it worse you know you're not only the worst uh, meditator in this sangha probably in all the communities you're the worst meditator and really if we could just get a list of every meditator on the planet who follows this path i'm sure that i would be at the bottom of that list he said just keep making it worse Until something inside of you says, I'm not that bad. (laughs) And he said, at whatever point it is that you begin to rebel, start there. And it's actually really helpful because you just keep pushing it. And a lot of saying that you're bad is because you don't think you are and you want somebody to tell you how good you actually are. It's just fishing for compliments. I made a terrible mistake once with someone. I didn't understand them. And they would tell me what, the, what was troubling them or what they felt concerned about. And I naively would start the conversation from, because this was, is my counseling method. I actually learned a lot from this experience. And I would say, well, in as much as you don't feel capable of doing this, then maybe we should do that. And then that person would rebel because I was always boxing them in by their limitations, defining them by their limitations. And I just... I felt blindsided every time. I couldn't figure out what to do. Another friend of mine with more intuition than me said, oh, she's only saying that so you'll deny it. Instead of saying, in as much as you're inadequate in this way, they, what they wanted me to say was, no, no, you're wonderful. And I just, I just didn't get it. But my friend just picked it out right away. And so a lot of heaping abuse upon your head is just fishing for compliments. And none of it's attractive. Just forget the whole thing. Just don't worry about it. Fishing for compliments from God or your friends or wherever. Just, we are what we are. We're just all spectrums. At least, you know, we're more advanced than the um, lizards. We're way ahead of the lizards. Way ahead. Yeah, (laughs) phew. Yes! (laughs) We're mostly better than anything with hooves. (laughs) But it's like you see it all starts sounding silly, but you're not quite as good as the person sitting next to you in church who never moved through the whole meditation while I was looking around the whole time. You know you can just you can always do it and God will just play with you, always find somebody different. all right yeah it's very, very important. so now he talks about this incredible thing called the conflict of the three gunas which it took Swami paragraphs to figure out, and me, about six readings to really capture. So I might just skip it. <laughs> which is what I really, really want to do. But he's really just talking about once you... Um, I really actually will let you read it, because I'm, I'm not going to try to figure it out. In the mind... Okay. Every new cravings produces ever new cravings, cravings in the mind, and desire results in conflict between the three gunas. The the end of what Swamiji is really saying there is that we are, all of us, as long as we're in creation, we're a mixture of these three um, vibrations. And the gunas are extremely, uh, extremely interesting, and I will spend a few minutes on it, very interesting and a very helpful concept. Because no matter how advanced we become, until we are like the masters, which is tree which means transcended all the three gunas, as long as we're in the material world, there's always going to be the up and down waves. And that's what the three gunas represent. There is, you're going to be, there's the calm energy, there's the activating energy, and then there's the energy that leads to um, darkness, to the just leads to sloth, that makes you more and more in delusion. Swami describes it, as the, the activating force pushes the wave up, and the, the part of the wave that's the most distant from the ocean is really the tamasic part, although we usually think of tamas as low energy. But tamas is also that which is the farthest away from enlightenment. But it's all relative, because Master, uh, he says in here that for the saint his tamasic energy is when the body needs to sleep. I mean, that's the farthest away he may get, the saintly person may get, from a pure awareness of spirit, is that the body goes to sleep. For a very, very um, uh, tamasic person, the calmest he ever gets is when he's asleep. You know, that's, that's the most peaceful time that he ever is. The rest of the time he's agitated or dull or whatever he is. It's not a question... It's not an absolute measurement. It's a measurement relative to where you are on the spectrum. And activating energy can either, you, can either activate you toward sattvic energy or it can activate you toward tamasic energy. And so we get caught up in our activating energy and we might want to use it to study and to read spiritual things and then to move us toward our meditation cushion so that we can you know, go into a more sattvic state. Or that activating energy may suddenly make us very restless and we want to go and watch television or go down to the street or go out and have dinner or go drink coffee so we can be even more rajasic. It's just like all of these things are happening all at the same time. And the more cravings and desires and fears we have, the more those energies just fight against each other. You know, there's an inclination to go toward peace and then there's an inclination to go toward laziness There's an inclination to go toward um, freedom, and then there's an inclination to go toward bondage. And as Swamiji says, we don't know whether we're we're coming or going, is how he describes it. And so our energy begins to push in all directions. Um, That's the best I can explain it. He talks about it more. He's just trying to interpret what does, why does Patanjali write it exactly like that? I can't make it any clearer than that because I don't understand it any better than that. Any thoughts or questions? Or can we just skip? Good enough for all of us. Yeah, I think it works for us. <laughs> We're on, we just finished number 215. Okay, and that's where he says it creates a conflict between the three gunas. I take that to mean it simply takes a conflict in the direction of our energy. Um, um the fear of loss produces ever-new cravings in the mind and desire results in the conflict between the three gunas. The conflict between the three gunas is which way are we going to take our energy? Upward toward the spirit, away from the spirit, into circles of activity. A friend of mine once said to Swamiji, he talked about the fact that he was constantly... Uh, he talked about the fact that he would follow a one path for a short period of time and then he would grow restless on that path. So he'd go find another path. And then the excitement of learning new things and getting involved in a new thing. And he'd do that for a while. And then he'd get restless and he'd go to another. And he just kept sort of moving like this. And Swami remarked. But each time he'd, he would find himself just back in the same spot. Swami said, said, yes. He said, going in circles creates a certain sense of accomplishment. The bigger the circle, the greater the sense of accomplishment and this man would just sort of learn something new and think he'd gone somewhere, learn something new. And then he began to realize he was just always right where he was. Yes.
2: So um, At Ananda, we will see people just sort of completely lifted out of one job and into something entirely different, you know, Tusthya and sarindra. You know, Flew out of East West Bookstore Almost went to Oregon Ended up running, uh, doing different, various different jobs in India Keeps changing you know, I landed in the bookstore <laughs> Doing something completely new and different Does that sort of fill that same purpose? Like let us have that um, That Rajasic looking for new stuff Kind of energy While still sort of staying in the same <laughs> General area I, Like get that out of our system <laughs> Without <laughs> shooting us out entirely
0: I think it's a side effect I don't think people are moved around just for the sake of... Um, well, but sometimes they are. Sometimes people are moved around because you're just getting restless where you're sitting. And so it's better to just move you into something else because otherwise that, if that rajasic energy cannot be used in a sattvic direction, that rajasic energy will be used in a tamasic direction. So yes, in fact, that's exactly true. Um, we, we finished it. I mean, Tushti and Sarendra, after 10 years, felt they were finished with East-West... And uh, so they found you. <laughs> and they they made up their own idea of where they were going to go. I mean, they, they felt that Laurelwood was a really good place to serve, which it was, but it didn't turn out to be God's plan for them. They got swept away into something else. I think I would say a, si- a side benefit of having things shift on a regular basis within the context of your service is that it does release that rajasic energy, the restless energy. And it's a very important thing for an individual also to not feel that it's not spiritual to say, I think I'm done here. You know, I'm dying on the vine here. Because sometimes in a community like Ananda, people get, it's, it's not broken, so nobody thinks about fixing it. And so people have to say, this is not working for me anymore. And it's not an unspiritual thing to say that. That's using your rajasic energy in a sattvic direction. Because if we are just dying on the vine... That could go toward tamasic energy. You can become resentful. You can become uncreative. Um, you can become uh, just f- attached to. You get more and more attached to smaller and smaller realities, like you people changing seats in the class tonight. You know, <laughs> I've been teaching here for many weeks, and you all should stay in your places. But that sort of thing happens. You just stay if you're if you're finished and it's not working for you. Your ajasic energy becomes tamasic you don't have anything creative to concentrate on anymore. So you start using it in a negative way. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's a very important point spiritually. I mean, in, in the job that I have, which never changes, I mean, we're just here in Palo Alto forever, seemingly, um, when Swami really made it clear to us that we were probably here forever, um, which I had never expected to be here forever, I thought we would actually just bip about the world. I mean, we're not the only ones within Ananda who've stayed in the same job for many decades, but um, a lot of other people have not done that. But when I really realized, because he said so, that we were probably never gonna leave here, um, it was a it was a very it was a very good thing for him to have said because then I realized that I had to start watching and not allow myself to slip into a Tamasic habit that I had to not, become, not be restless, not be resentful, and not just slip into a tamasic habit, but it was going to be up to me to keep this thing ever new because it was not going to get fixed from the outside. Because prior to that time, a, a big piece of me just thought, it's okay because before too long I'll be rescued, and I'll just be taken somewhere else, and then I'll get the sense of fulfillment that comes from moving in a big circle. <laughs> but knowing that I had to just keep finding it deeper and deeper here, it was really a great
2: gift. Yes. I've only been running the bookstore for two years, but that's still sort of a couple of cycles. And I, I noticed the first time around, the first time you do everything, there's all of that energy like, wow, this is new, this is interesting. How will we do this? But by the time you've done it two or three or however many times, there's a lot of like, okay, well, we know this works. Right. So let's quick do it that way. Um, and And that can and sometimes it's just to save time so you can get onto the other new stuff, but sometimes it definitely feels tomasic um, is Is it something to think about like just shaking that up just for the sake of shaking it up, even if it's quote not broke, you know just well, throwing been... a little wrench in it and doing it differently just to make sure you're not
0: well. Going you can't be calculated about it but in in the cycle of life here which has been 27 or 28 years you know every time a holiday comes around and you've you've seen you've all seen we reinvent things over and over and over again even though they may have been working we stop and look at it but we don't reinvent it just to reinvent it we re- we look at it we look at many things and ask you know how does it feel does it still have life force does it still have vitality or is it beginning to, to feel a little stale? And do I have a creative, I or whoever, have a creative inspiration that will make this again more interesting? And it's, it is important not to just, here's the run sheet what, for whatever it is. Here's the run sheet for Christmas in the store. Here's the run sheet. You have to say, well, that's what we did last year. What might work this year? And what's going on in the world that we could incorporate in here that might be more interesting? So yeah, both are, both are necessary. Sometimes, sometimes I can feel that this really could be changed, but not by me and not now. <laughs> and that's just also just reality. You know, we'll just live with it for one more year or one more month because um, you don't have the juice. And that nobody else around has the juice either, so it's just going to stay like it is. But yes, you have to be very careful not to go to sleep at the switch. Otherwise you become like lots of things and people that we know who just, um, as Swamiji said, whatever you ask them, well, as I always say, (laughs) and they do always say, over and over and over. (laughs) I was visiting an elderly couple once, and it's fascinating. She was entirely in the moment. Every response was in the moment to what was happening. All of his responses were the habits from the past. He had just lost the ability to relate creatively to what was around him Whatever would happen, he would wait until he could draw it into the channels that he already knew. And they were the same age, and they were both mentally acute. It wasn't a question of uh, any kind of physiological thing. It was just a habit. One had stayed awake, and one was gradually falling asleep. And it can happen no matter what age you are. That's why Master said it's a good idea to change your habits on a regular basis. Just do things differently, comb your hair differently, cut it differently, have your tea in a different room, drink a different tea, play a different song, learn a new chant, anything, just so that you're not just letting your energy go that way. Sit in a different place in the room. (laughs) Any other comments before we take a break? So, did we have anything else that needed to be said into the microphone in way of a question or anything? No. Then let's go on. Sutra 216. So so we've done 215. Now we're doing 216. We're like, you know, we're, I think we're more than halfway through the book. Yeah, we are. Um, future karmic pain can be avoided. He gives us so few just simple, nice things like that, doesn't he? Future karmic pain can be avoided. I just want to savor it for a moment, don't you? He didn't really tell us that we have to give up everything that we love and that all of our impressions are wrong and that we have to completely remake our whole way of being. He just tells us that pain can be avoided. So, Yogananda used to say, I'm tired of hearing people lament, it's my karma, I can't avoid it. All karma can be transcended. What is the spiritual path expected to do for us if not that, as Krishna put it, to get away from my ocean of suffering and delusion. Then Swami says, this is the third time in this book he's quoted that to us. And then he justifies himself by saying, Master said it a lot too. (laughs) I love it when Swami just sort of, you know, just participates in the writing of the book. Okay. (laughs) I have talked about that this very idea quite a bit in this class series, I believe. So I'm not sure that I need to emphasize it. There are many remedies. I love, there are many remedies for looming disaster of all kinds. Don't huddle in the dark moaning, oh, it's my karma. You know, that sounds easy, but all of us, it's that it's the conflict of the gunas. It's the desire to fall into sloth and just even though we know it can be avoided, we have we're going to have to take action in order to make it change, and it, that's that's the path is just so. He's he's joking here, and it's really dear, but nonetheless, there's just this big space between knowing that positive action will help and actually being able to take the positive action. This is where having a regular, solid sadhana. That you don't have to ask yourself every day whether you're going to do it. This is the power of group meditation because you commit yourself and you're part of a positive energy on a regular basis. Um, this is the power of the energization exercises. Um, and, and the energization exercises play an extremely important role in the, fulfilling, in the fulfillment of Sutra 216 because what the energization exercises teach us to do is to consciously direct and increase our energy. And the way future um, karmic pain can be avoided is by there are many remedies for looming disaster of all kinds. And it teaches us that I can put out energy. I just don't have to just huddle in the dark and moan about what's about to happen. And it's very hard to get hold of ourselves And if we haven't practiced getting a hold of ourselves, then it's hard in the crisis moment to do it. Swamiji laments that teaching and traveling around the world, he finds that people often let go of the energization exercises. They'll have learned them, but they won't keep doing them. Um, Because who knows, we have many things to do and the, the list is really long and it somehow... We don't have the energy to do the energization. And we can't direct our energy to do the energization. But if you are at all concerned about your ability to cope with either what you're presently facing or what you fear you might face, the energization is really one of the best insurance policies that you can put out. Inherently, the energization exercises will help mitigate your karma because they will create a dynamic flow of energy. They will create a dynamic aura around you. They will help your health. They will help your meditation. In every way, just the energization exercises, all by themselves, quite apart from the effect that they have on you, I mean, the the confidence they give you in being able to do things. I traveled with Shivani, as you all know, in India um I, the last In the winter when I was there, she and I were together a lot. In September, I carried her briefcase for almost three weeks through India. That was my role. Shivani is one of the most energetic people I know. And every time you turn around, Shivani's going <laughs> like this. You know? <laughs> you know, you're just nowhere. And she's over there going, tensing <laughs> <laughs> and relaxing something. And the woman can carry on like nobody's business. And she really, she really gets it. And you sort of, what is the secret of this woman's phenomenal energy? Well, it's right in front of you. She believes in the techniques and she does them. And I, I was impressed. Because I have a lot of energy, but she puts me in the shade. You know, I was panting along with the briefcase just trying to keep up. You know, single-handedly she's put that movie across. Not, I mean, she's had a lot of helpers, I need to be fair, but she has been the prow of the ship. And they had, apparently had a very successful theatrical opening in India, just by the way, although I can't seem to get details. I got a letter that from someone that said, it's been held over for another week. And, and I wrote back and said, in every city, in one city, because they opened the, the movie for one week, finding happiness in like eight or nine or 11 cities. And the hope was that the attendance would justify holding it over another week, which it did somewhere, maybe everywhere. Say again? It was Gorgon where it's held where it's held over. That's good. Let's go for it. Let's go for it everywhere. But it was. It's just that that consciousness that I am one with the infinite force and I can gather and direct my energy. In, in our meditation, we struggle with our meditation because we want to put our energy here and it doesn't go there. It goes to our tummy, you know. It goes to our heart in a in a bad way. It goes in all directions it just sinks and doesn't want to be where we want it to be and it's it's very subtle to direct the energy when you're meditating but if you can consistently find your forearm with your energy and then withdraw the energy what you're training yourself to do is to direct energy where you choose to have it directed and if then that becomes that i need to really get this project done i really need to get this application in i really need to make this unpleasant phone call i really need to deal with a person I don't want to deal with. I really need to clean my house. I really need to be nice to my husband. I really need to take good care of my children. I, anything it is, you're in the habit of saying, I choose the objective and I direct the energy. So it's vitally important. And that's what changes your karma. Future pain can be avoided because you you learn how to respond dynamically to it. The point of I mean, these karmic pain Karma is there to teach you something. And it's only painful if you're not willing to learn it. What makes it painful? What makes it painful is that we, we don't want to cooperate with it. And there's many ways to think about that. It's, it's, karma is like a boomerang that at some point in your life you toss it out like that and it, in your lives, it's, you know, it's making a, a big circle and sometimes that circle is really huge and a lot of incarnations might go by and you're learning all kinds of things in the process, but the energy is still in motion and may have to come back to you. But if by the time it's coming back to you, you have become much bigger than the energy you launched, it may still hit you, but it will be just, you know, a small thing. Oh, look, you know, there was a bank error, you know, and they, they took $30 out of my bank account instead of, oh, look, the stock market crashed and now we're penniless. You know, something <laughs> something will happen... But the proportions will be entirely different. Or literally, your, if your aura is really strong, it's like a meteor coming through the atmosphere. And, and so it, it comes into you, but you're by now have such a strong, you no longer resonate with it, and it, it burns up. That's how it mitigates. It burns up and mitigates on the way in. And so by the time it hits you, it doesn't have the force that it used to have. And that's how karmic pain can be avoided. Or you see it coming. Oh, look, I'm going to have to really deal with this extremely difficult family situation or this terrible financial problem that I'm going to have. Let me get moving. And instead of waiting, just standing there, huddling in the dark until it goes on you, kaboom, like that, and you're just flattened out like a cartoon character under it. That's entirely different than if you're already moving and it just comes across like a wind and pushes from behind. And that's all determined just... Day by day. This is what I was saying. You can't avoid things just by becoming dull. That's why we're so dynamic. We are so dynamic. I was doing I was doing a project, let's see what was it? It was Erica and Craig's wedding, and the altar just was too small. And I was there and I was gonna have to conduct the wedding and they they just were making the altar too small and it was too low. And there was a kind of Um, well, this is what we have to work with. And I just looked at it and I said, no, this is not what we have to work with. And all of a sudden, I'm wheeling a wheelbarrow around and we're crawling, you were there, we're crawling around behind the dumpster and we're pulling cement blocks out and we're wheeling them back and I'm dumping furniture off of here and carrying, somebody said afterwards, you're so intense. (laughs) No, it's just that the altar was too small and it needed to be bigger. And nobody else seemed to be as committed to it as I was. How was you going to move bricks in a wheelbarrow? You can't just kind of drag them like that, you know. <laughs> if you had, they had to be moved. They had to be moved, but it's a habit, you see. It's just a habit. I learned it from Swami. I remember once, I don't know what what was moving Swamiji, but he had he had this little uh, in his in the the dome that you all see now at Crystal Hermitage, the living room dome, and I guess people now can go downstairs into Swami's apartment. So you go through those little the stairs and down to the stairwell there's a closet that's right there that you might not even notice when you step into the stairwell before there was a downstairs that closet was his meditation room and so you would it was configured slightly differently and you just that was where his meditation room was right on that same floor because there was nothing else and for some reason he insulated it once with egg cartons that was somebody's idea so it was all insulated with egg cartons And after a while, all those little things pointing at him, the feng shui of it, he didn't like. And I don't know what else was going on. There may have been other things he wasn't talking about. But he conceived of this commitment, no more egg cartons. And instead, we were going to insulate the thing with these styrofoam sheets that he had, just big sheets. Somehow the the prelude to this evening's experience is a little obscure to me. But anyway, Seva and I were there. And we were going to take all the egg cartons down and we were going to put up all these styrofoam pieces. Of course, it's a dome, and so it's not like a little square thing. So it has all these angles. And and we just started cutting and pasting. I don't know how we put them on the wall. But anyway, we had to rip it all off and put it all together. We were there till about four in the morning. And Swami just never let up. We were just going we to finish it. And there was... No conversation about whether or not we were going to finish it. There was no waiting till tomorrow, but I really vividly remember he just he just never stopped. And you know, and we're none of the three of us was particularly deft at the project we were doing. (laughs) And then we had to put the curtains back, you know, which was more my field. I was a little better at the curtains than at the styrofoam, but it was so clear in my mind how you work if you're going to work we're going to do this we're going to do it now and there was no like tension but there was no letting up if you're going to do the job you just do the job and that's simply that Pardon me? that's how you built that altar. yeah you were there <laughs> yeah i mean you were you were looking at me cuz i'm picking up these blocks See, i remember i remember you were one of those who was saying just like what are you doing Jill, it's too small, it has to be higher. Would you lift the leg? Yes, lift the leg. Okay. I mean there's no small talk here. Let's just get it done. But that's how you avoid karmic pain. Is that you're in motion. And so pain is only pain results when when what happens isn't what you want to have happen. And he says, then the next one, most pain is mental. And the mental is I want it to be different. I mean, if you don't want it to be different, if you really think about it, if you don't want it to be different, this is just the way it is. And if this is the way it is, and I'm not resisting it, that's three quarters of the strain of a situation is that you don't want to do it. I want I want it to be different. Remember the, the, the little boy, um, Ganesha and Saraswati's son, they call him Michael now, he was called Makunda then. Makunda had... He had a very strong will. He was a very, 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 very strong child. And he lived in the um, San Francisco ashram, which was this five-story house with a big staircase up the middle, with no insulation anywhere. So virtually anywhere in the house that you spoke, you could hear it all over the house. And he just got really bored being in bed. And he was big enough to crawl out of his bed and get out of his room. At three in the morning, in the dark, he stands at the top of the stairs. And at the in the loudest voice that he had, which was notable. I want it to be morning, he declared. (laughs) Which, of course, woke up the entire house. (laughs) He just had it. It, He was done with night. (laughs) And really, it was very admirable quality. You know, okay, this is what's happening. I mean, admirable two ways. One, he was in protest. But the other side of it was, I'm just going to put my will into where we're going here. So that didn't work. Let's find something that will. That was also when I asked Swami the secret of prosperity. His answer was creativity. He gives one word answer. The secret of prosperity is creativity. If one thing doesn't work, you just try something else. And if that doesn't work, you try something else and you just keep trying something else until you find what's going to work. But you try it with full force of will. You don't just try it like, oh, well, you know, that was a disaster. Let's see if this one will work. Oh, that one didn't work either. Well, what about the next one? It's just a variation on, oh, it's my karma. But this is where the energization exercises come through. You know, you're just doing it with everything that you have, with control, with direction, but with the full force of your will. And uh, then a lot of karmic pain can be avoided. Because also pain comes when we're afraid. And we're afraid because we think we can't cope. And when, if you really analyze, I think I can't cope, it's almost always, I don't have the energy. Because if you have the energy, you can always cope. That's what it, it, it really comes down in your mind. I don't think I have the energy to deal with this. And that doesn't mean you always actually do have the energy to continue in a certain way, but you always, there's always an accessible solution. And maybe the energy is the energy of surrender. Maybe it's the energy of humility. Maybe it's the energy of faith in God that I don't, I don't really have to do this, that I think that this is the only possible response. But if my body won't cooperate or my finances won't cooperate, then, I have to be creative enough to think there's got to be another solution i I went through that with my parents, which was a great lesson and learning a whole million different things, which was I couldn't do what I was trying to do because I wasn't supposed to be doing what I was trying to do, and the energy required was not the energy of just sheer bullheaded bull in the china shop, which is not always the best energy. sometimes the energy is the energy of. Calmness and restraint and taking a moment to breathe and centering yourself and then sometimes the right energy is just to let it go because it's not meant to be. So this is, see with energization exercises we don't merely tense, we also totally relax. You learn to control and direct the energy not merely to just have it blow out of you. And some people's idea of how to get things done is not sensitive enough. They're not remembering that I send the energy and I relax inward. And that's how the future pain is avoided, that you have, you have mastery. You have mastery over yourself and you have mastery over your energy. So we should practice when it's easier. Because if we practice when it's easier and it becomes a habit with us, then whenever we need energy, without even thinking about it, we can just automatically have it. If it has to be done, we just do it because we're so in the habit of believing that energy is limitless and is under the control of my will. And if you haven't trained yourself to believe it, um, it's tricky. It's under the control of my will, which means if I'm bedridden and I can't get up, I can just pull the energy in and relax. I don't have to chafe against reality all the time. Because chafing against reality is also not controlling your energy. And that's what we're really trying to do here. Okay, does that make sense? Very important lesson. And all of that has to do with future karmic pain can be avoided. I think we should put a big star by 216. What is your favorite sutra? 216. (laughs) Okay, any other thoughts before we call it a night? Okay, great souls, see you next week. I'm not traveling very much, just a little bit for months, so we're all stuck with each other for quite a long time. Here. <laughs> I have a week here and there, not until October. I'm, I'll be gone in October. One week in June, first, first Tuesday in June, and I'm also going to L.A. somewhere around August. And spiritually no week, but I'm not, you know, no big, no big event. I'm going to New Zealand for October. Yes, I am. <laughs>